Hi everyone, welcome back to Brand 2020. Brand 2020 is when we look at Japan's attempts to brand itself, to project its image outside of Japan, and also to people who are voting and consuming here in Japan as well. Today I'm honored to welcome Yoko Zetterland, who is a bronze medalist in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics and also a participant on the U.S. team in 1996 as well. Yes, yes. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me today. One of the things that comes up all the time when foreigners talk about Japan is hazing, bullying, uh, sexual harassment, power harassment, people working in jobs too long, dying from overwork, or perhaps maybe even killing themselves. This is kind of a patina that overlays a lot of exploration of Japanese culture. And more recently, the Me Too movement seems to have come to Japan in sports and in politics. Have you had any experience as a sports athlete in Japan kind of dealing with um, harassment? I guess that's a, a loaded question because the answer there is obviously, yes, it's part of the education, isn't it? Uh, yes, <laughs> the answer is yes. It's, um, well, um, I started playing volleyball when I was 12. And then uh, back then, uh, my team was really good and the coach was very strict. And of course, uh, from the uh, player's side, we always thought that we should follow and listen to what the coach always tell us right. or uh, teach us. But um, I've seen a lot of uh, cases that uh, sometimes, as a junior high school student, that the coaches, is this really okay? Is this really coaching? Is this really part of education? That uh, sometimes yelling at the players, uh, sometimes I've seen uh, coaches beating the players. Hitting them, yes, yes physically. Yes, and, uh, but uh, part of it, that was a question in my mind, but also on the other hand that, oh, this is, some kind of process that we have to go through to get better, uh, to be uh, a strong team. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tried to um, put that question away somewhere in my mind. Because you were interested in being the best you could be. It's yes. part of the sport. It's part of how education is here. I mean, even in, in Japanese elementary schools or in high schools, frequently you will see from the sidelines coaches, you know, hitting kids on the head and and kicking them and making them do better, and uh, it, it's right. kind of part of the education? It's been saying that it's part of education. Uh, being very strict uh, to like kids or players that will make them better. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that's the right way, and that shouldn't be the way. And it's becoming a very, very big issue these days, especially coaching uh, the kids maybe under 12, Mm -hmm. Well, it's not only just the kids under 12. There's been a recent issue where a four-time gold medalist wrestling, uh, a female athlete by the name of Icho, was harassed. Uh, they don't say sexually harassed, probably more accurately power harassed mm -hmm. by her coach. And he really kind of blackballed her into doing what he wanted her to do. And when she revolted, she went to the press. It became a tremendous brouhaha. We haven't seen the end of that one yet. No, not yet. Um, and I was actually very surprised when the issue about uh, power harassment by uh, Coach Sakai came out because I, I know him. And uh, he was also awarded uh, one of the best coaches. You didn't want to believe it, right? No, no, I didn't want to believe it. And um, also, especially about Icho, she's been already a four-time gold medalist, which is... Uh, very, very uh, being a good uh, role model for many female athletes in Japan. 
So uh, we always thought that, uh, or I always thought that, um, it's uh, maybe like the coaching is changing a little bit mm -hmm. about uh, female players uh, being coached by male coaches. I thought the coaching um, um, strategy has been changing a little bit, but uh, I guess that was only that I was seeing the surface, right. not really deep under what was going on. And um, I think what it's need to be changed really that, uh, well, now these days the coaching, uh, like theory that would say, that the coaches should um, coach the players, not teach them mm -hmm. at especially a certain age or once when they have like a very high career, make them be independent. And uh, also they, um, especially like the female uh, athletes, they should talk to the coaches um, with having respect, but at an equal Mm -hmm. um, level that they can have like discussion what they want to get it done and uh, but sometimes when like the coaches I won't I won't say only like the male coaches but um, when the coaches once when they see the players becoming very very independent and uh, maybe just leaving under their wings and they don't want to let them go right. so I think that's the time that the power harassment mm -hmm. at the very beginning it happens well maybe that happens in group Dynamic sports, uh, wrestling is not typically a, a group sport. It's a it's an individual sport, but also, I mean, I don't think that the theory of coaching has changed that much. But tremendously, the culture, Me Too, women empowerment. The prime minister likes to talk about that too, and I've got to say that um, Icho, the 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 athlete, a four time gold medalist, she is to be commended. I mean, she stepped out. She took tremendous risk by saying this guy is really um, totally off the reservation, the way he's treating me, the way he's blacklisted me, this is not right. And she, she, she came out publicly about that. And that kind of started, it opened the gates, didn't it? And this was just recently over the last three months or so. Yes, I think it really opened the gate. And uh, I thought uh, Itzo was very brave. And especially in her position, uh, what I assume is um, once, once she's done with her um, first career, I would say, as a player, um, then she will start her second career, and the second career really... Um, Don't right. be a troublemaker. <laughs> right. Don't be a <laughs> troublemaker. So, so you're going to start your second career, right. but in your first career, uh, you were a little bit outspoken and you're a female, so right. let's pass um, on that. Well, if you want to start your second career, I think um, the way it is, you not only... Um, being like successful as a player in your first career, but to stay and start your second career that you want to stay in the system. Mm -hmm. So sometimes right. you have to be quiet. Uh, you always know what the issue is and you know what's always what the problem is there, but you can't, sometimes you can't really speak up. Right. Well, for athletes in Japan, it's, it's different in, in a lot of countries, particularly in the United States, where every season you have a different sport. And so people typically are, are, two-season or four-sport kind of uh, players. They're swimmers in, in the winter, maybe they're uh, baseball players in the fall or football players, and maybe in the spring they're, they're soccer players. In Japan, you identify one sport and you stick with that. And if you don't stick with it, it kind of impinges on your credibility and your, your stick-to-itness. And so once a, an athlete, a professional athlete, somebody who is at the world-class level, finishes their, their productive season, where do they go after that? It's almost 
a, a black box, isn't it? I mean, they can become a TV commentator. They can open a restaurant. There are very limited things that they can do successfully, don't you think? Uh, I, I agree with that. Um, I experienced when I was in college, or actually when I was in high school, that I decided to go to college. And uh, my college team wasn't really a good, strong team. But I still wanted to go that to the college and uh, practice volleyball and also just uh, get a better education, higher education. And what I've heard from the outside is, oh, if you want to go to the Olympics, why don't you go play for the club team? Mm -hmm. Because that's the highest level in Japan. And if you want to go to the Olympics, you really don't have time to study, do you? Right. <laughs> that was the question that was thrown at. But, um, well, uh, everybody has a different way to try to go to the Olympics, but... Uh, what I experienced back then was, oh, if I want to go to the Olympics, there is only one way that you don't have any other choices. Mm -hmm. And especially back then, that was, um, of course, that's not written on the book, but um, that was some kind of rule that uh, you need to follow, otherwise you're dropped out. Right. You're such an interesting guest because you're Japanese-American, but you're more culturally Japanese than American, if, if you don't mind me making that observation. And you came up through the system here in Japan, and you became a, a very well-known, very accomplished volleyball player. But in the final analysis, you decided to change allegiance to the United States, and you made the, the U.S. team. You could have been a Japanese player, but you didn't. What's, what's the story there? Is there some kind of um, impact of what it is that we're talking about now, the harassment, the kind of mismatch of, of cultures, the, the dynamics that's going on that guided you to that decision? Um, yes, well, I think that was uh, part of uh, my um, background that uh, as a Japanese person that I was too outspoken and uh, always made a statement um, that I don't think I really bothered anybody. I just wanted to make my own decision uh, for what I think what I, or what I thought it was right mm -hmm. and always trying to aim what I want to do. And, uh, but that um, the system, I should say, well, the system didn't really allow right. me to do that. And uh, well, I followed the way that I thought what was right, but that um, the direction that I was going to, it was... Uh, just going totally the opposite way from the Olympics. Right. And uh, that's what I experienced around like age 16, 17. Mm -hmm. and, um, but only um, back then, if I wanted to make the Japanese national team and also wanted to try to make it to the Olympics, um, well, probably it was better to uh, go play for the club team and wait for being selected. Mm -hmm. So, and that wasn't the way that I wanted to try to go to Olympics. I always wanted to, uh, let's say, mm, just like challenge or get the chance uh, with my own hands and um, just grab it and make it. And I thought that was um, the chances to go or at least try to go to Olympics. I thought that was that kind of chances should be given uh, equally or evenly to anybody who wants to challenge, mm -hmm. not um, depending on like how long you played or uh, what kind of uh, success that you had in your uh, career before. 
or who you played for or who was your coach. Mm -hmm. and not, I don't think those things should be the issue of uh, trying to make it to the Olympics or challenge to go to the Olympics. When you say a, a club team, what does that mean? Uh, you've got university teams and they're competing perhaps with, with club teams. Is this like a city team or is this like a sponsored by a company team? A sponsored by a company team. Okay. And especially uh, like maybe 30 years ago, um, when I was uh, trying to go to the Olympics or t uh, trying to decide whether I should go to uh, play for the college team or play for the company-sponsored team. Mm -hmm. And um, there weren't many choices right. because the com uh, all those like company-sponsored teams were the best. Mm -hmm. So uh, most of the people or person who is in the position to select the players uh, probably thought that uh, that was the only way um, and that was the best way to um, get a better performance mm -hmm. uh, to uh, go to the Olympics and practice there. So essentially are the players employees of the company that sponsors the team? So you have to kind of join the company, become yes. an employee, but actually you're spending 80% of your time training and maybe 20% of your time doing something else inside the company? Um, especially for uh, female athletes, they, um, there's like many different types of like contract that they have uh, for the company, but mostly what they do is, I would say 100%, they, okay. <laughs> they practice and just well, play volleyball. And maybe sometimes they'll go see the people at the company, but that wasn't uh, really the style after, when should I say, maybe after the 1970s or especially starting in the 80s uh -huh. because like way back then, uh, way back in 1964 when uh, the, um, the national team, uh, women's national team for Japan, they won the first gold medal in the history uh, for volleyball. They were sponsored by the company, but what they did back then was like they worked from uh, maybe like 8.30 to like 4.30. And then after the time that they practice until, ooh, <laughs> how long? Maybe like 12, 1 o'clock uh, at night. Right. So I would say that was more uh, of the amateur side. That right, because the, you're not supposed right. to be professional when right, you go right, to the right, Olympics, right? Right, right. So back then... That, that was the style, but later on it became that, oh, the players should just concentrate on uh, practicing, training uh, for volleyball, and, well, just forget about working for the right. company. So that's, that's like one of the things that, um, well, of course, uh, players now, they have a choice whether they want to work for the company after they retired, but most of the players, they... Um, after they retired, they leave the company, too. Uh -huh. So right. then... So here's your second career, the beginning of your second career. So that, uh, well, if I get back to Icho's story, that uh, Icho is also now sponsored by the company. And, uh, but once once she's done, of course, how is she going to start her second career? Then the first career, what she's been doing right. or what she said or what she's done, 
that that will really affect her second career. So. And it's undecided yet if she's going to go into the Olympics again. That would be her fifth attempt at right. a, making an Olympic team. Exactly. And, uh, well, many uh, Japanese fans are, um, of course, this if she makes it. Rah, rah, they're supporting right, her. And right, probably right. a little bit of that is because of this, this controversy that, that she's in now, wouldn't I you say? I think, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yes. yeah. You know, I'd like to get more into Me Too and We Too Japan, which is a new organization that was set up by 84 journalists just recently mm. about talking to the prime minister, talking to the Abe administration about, you know, the sexual scandal, about the all of the stuff that's going on, about the finance minister saying inappropriate things in press conferences mm -hmm. and just a lot of things. But before we get into that, you could have played for the Japanese team, but you changed your mind and you went to the United States and you made the team there. That is just a, a huge story in and of itself, but it must have been awful tough. And who lost out on that but the Japanese team? I mean, you were a, a bronze medalist. They could have, and Japan's always been very strong. I mean, when the, oh, when, yes, when the women's team mm -hmm. comes on, mm -hmm. everybody's uh, glued to the sets. Yes, um, well, the Japanese national team has a very great history. Um, they, I don't know, uh, I forgot like, how many gold medals and like many medals that they, they've got um, until uh, today. And um, especially when I um, just joined the, uh, or decided to join the national team, yes, it was tough. Um, it was like a huge change of culture for me since I grew up in Japan for a long time and also I was coached by a Japanese coach for a long time and also uh, when I got back to the States I didn't speak that much English so that was really tough. Right, but you were a setter. <laughs> yes, I was a setter and well that really, uh, that was a really good position for me because mm -hmm. you, uh, you see many great uh, hitters uh, already there on the US national team and they were looking for uh, a third setter well, they always kept three setters, and mm -hmm. I was trying for the third spot uh, just to move up after that. And um, what was really good was um, when I wanted to uh, go to Olympics, I already um, I thought that I already lost a chance um, when I was in Japan that, well, I have no more opportunity to maybe try even try to go to Olympics. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, well, that was really, that was the toughest thing that I thought I have to like give up even I'm not even at the start line <laughs> to go to Olympics. But um, I had to uh, choose my citizenship. And that was like the big um, uh, divider, point, right? Yes, divider that uh, I decided to have a tryout mm -hmm. for the U.S. national team, and I didn't even know that they had a tryout. Well, you don't get, you don't have any like internet information that you can get uh, from anywhere when you want. So, mm -hmm. um, but uh, that was a really uh, eye-opening for me. And uh, luckily, I had a dual citizenship. Then I also had an opportunity to choose, and that was like wow. one one year before uh, Barcelona Olympics in 1992, and. Um, yeah, if if I didn't have that uh, chance, that I, I would have never made it. So. What a, what a great story of endurance and and perseverance. And also, you are in your second career now. You are actually integrated into uh, the, the the sports administration here in Japan, and you're you're commenting a lot on coaches. You're ranking coaches. You're talking about the same thing that we're talking about at a grander scale. And um, can we talk a little bit about 
what you have seen in terms of Me Too, We Too Japan, which is a, a new um, hashtag that's come out recently, but it seems like there's this swelling that's coming in, and I think it's good news. Yes, I think it's uh, a good news and a good opportunity for um, not only uh, athletes, but uh, like female in Japan could mm -hmm. also works for the company or for the organization. I think everybody has or everybody experienced before that uh, they want something that they want to speak up, uh, something that they couldn't really speak up or talk, uh, talk out loud. Mm -hmm about the issue, which is uh, sexual harassment, uh, power harassment, um, um, any kind of like harassment, that they've uh, been very or forced to be patient and deal with what's right. been going on. Shut it's, up and take it. Yes, shut up and take it, <laughs> right. if I say it that way. And um, um, always I think um, that kind of like movement or um, a new movement that I say that Japan gets a lot of influence would come from mm -hmm. outside of Japan. Right. And uh, sometimes it's good to take it the way it is and just just keep the movement. But sometimes it needs to be arranged. Change it, change change it just it a little in bit. A different way right. to um, make the movement in Japan because I think um, like culturally from what I experienced that living in Japan is always looking for something new, but it takes a little time to accept right. something. And I think the Japanese culture is always tend to um, modify mm -hmm. uh, to and uh, or develop the way that would fit into the uh, system of the society. Well, also, they, they seem to always wait for a catalyst, something to happen. They don't quite take the initiative. They wait for it to come in from mm -hmm. most of the time outside of Japan. But here on Brand 2020, that's exactly what we talk about, the the image of Japan, how what Japan does to project that image. And in this current topic that we're talking about, it seems like the, the males dominate the issue. They dominate the storyline. They dominate the excuse and the, the reason for why it is this way. And, and the current administration, in fact, is taking the line that it's not a crime. Sexual harassment is not a mm -hmm. crime. It's not on the books. Mm -hmm. And so this is just people who are disenfranchised or who are a little bit um, angry about something and they come up with this. In fact, um, there was a, a comment by the former Minister of Education who said this was a frame-up for this Ministry of Finance uh, official who eventually quit his job. Um, but this thing pervades Japanese society, wouldn't you say? Mm, I would say so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this Me Too and We Too Japan issue, this initiative that's just come over the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. do you think it has potential to catch fire here? Yes, I think I think it is. Uh, slowly, quietly, but surely, it, I think it's catching fire. These, these last two weeks don't say that. This, these last two weeks say this is an issue that's not going to go away. Mm, no, it, it, will, it will always um, be there. And um, I think it's, um, well, I should say it, it's a great start. Uh, mm -hmm. Great movement, and uh, but we have to see if uh, if it's going to last. If it doesn't last, then it will just get back to like the old days. Right. So if, I think we need um, to just keep uh, people or like female uh, keep working on it. Keep consistent. Yes. Keep, keep it. You yeah. know, as mm -hmm. an issue that's going forward, because there's definitely going to be a little bit of a backlash. We've already mm -hmm. seen a little bit of that. Right. We don't want the issue to die. No. We want to propel the image of Japan, we want it to 
encourage and inspire women to be more integrated yes. and to, to contribute you know, more productively. Yes, and uh, this, this is a really, really good time, especially, um, well, speaking about, uh, well, 2020, the uh, Tokyo Olympics, Olympic Games, Summer Games is like coming up, and uh, like the IOC, International uh, Olympic Committee, is um, trying to, um, uh, the, well, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee is also asking a lot of the organization as uh, such as like JOC, Japan Olympic Committee and like other organization to um, put a female into a, um, a command uh, position or so a leadership position. position. Yeah, leadership position, at least like 20 percent, uh -huh. especially in sports that uh, to well show that the Japan is like changing internationally. Mm -hmm and uh, taking the leadership that um, there's like more opportunity for a female to become more actively engaged, more actively engaged in, uh, in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, it's there. Okay. So, <laughs> That's, <laughs> the movement is there. So, Brand 2020, where we delve into how Japan creates its image, how it projects that image, and what it can do to make that image a little bit better. Today we've been talking about sexual harassment, power harassment in politics, in sports, and entertainment. Please stay tuned. This one is live.